A few months ago, my daughter Haley was playing with some buckets and she was putting water inside another one. And she kept putting these buckets of water and I said, Haley, what are you doing? And she said, I'm being like Jesus. I'm turning water into wine. (laughs) As a pastor, I was somewhat excited that she remembered the Bible uh, passage, that she remembered that miracle. But on the other hand, I was like, I don't think that's what Jesus was teaching us. How often do we read passages of scripture and do we think that we really understand what's happening? No matter if you're de-churched or unchurched, if you've never been to church or have never heard the message of Jesus, or you follow Jesus for 50 years, we're all susceptible to reading a passage and thinking, I know what's really going on here. This morning, the main point of our message is this, Palm Sunday reveals our deepest misunderstandings of Jesus. Palm Sunday reveals our deepest misunderstandings of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, whether a mobile device or a physical Bible, uh, open with me to John chapter 12, 12 through 19. I want to welcome those of you online. Make sure you say hello in the chat and engage in the message. And uh, as we go into this passage, as we celebrate Palm Sunday together, I want to just help set us up as we read this. John 12 is very interesting because prior in John 11, uh, we see this miraculous sign that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And if you were to have anybody be raised from the dead, that word would spread around town. And as we read the gospel of John and we get to the 12th chapter, this is Jesus's last week that's leading up to his death and resurrection. And when we find ourselves in this story of Palm Sunday, it's kind of transitioning to Jesus's last time here on earth. So let's read this passage together. John 12, 12 through 19 says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it. And as it's written, and this is from Zechariah 9, 9, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him, that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Palm Sunday reveals our deepest misunderstandings of Jesus. If you look at verse 16 of John chapter 12, it makes this interesting statement. And it says this, it says that Jesus, or that the disciples did not understand. So John 12, the Palm Sunday story in the gospel of John is written from the perspective of the crowds. So it's a little bit of a different point of view and you can put yourself in the crowds. What was actually happening? Well, this is the Passover season where they're celebrating in the Old Testament how Moses led God's people out of Egypt. And here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has approximately at this point 100,000 people. And during Passover, there's about a million people. It's 10 times bigger. 
And these crowds are seeing Jesus. They're seeing this miracle worker as he led someone from the dead. And it's interesting. They somewhat understand who Jesus is. They know that he's some type of prophet. He's some type of king. He's a radical teacher. He's even a rabbi. But just as this passage says, the crowds and the disciples don't quite understand what he's doing. They're held in occupation by the Roman government. These people are Jewish and they're held under Roman law and they have certain ideas of who Jesus is. Palm Sunday is oddly complicated in the Christian season. In some senses, we're all waving our palm branches and we're saying Jesus is king and we're worshiping him. But, but with Palm Sunday, it's leading him to the cross. It's leading him to die on a cross, to be resurrected from the dead. So on one hand, there's rejoicing. On one hand, there's happiness. And on another hand, there's grief, there's pain, and there's darkness. If I was to sum up an emotion or a feeling of Palm Sunday, it'd be this word preparation. And it's asking ourselves this, what does God want to do in my life during this season? You know, for this past year, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of protests, in the midst of all the political upheaval, I think many of us has asked this question, where's Jesus in all of this? Is God distant? Is God far away? Is he with us? And just like the disciples and crowds, we bring our misunderstandings about Jesus here today during this Easter Sunday. How is God working? Is he there? As we think about Palm Sunday, we might understand John 12 a little bit differently than the disciples and crowds, but we all face our own misunderstandings about Jesus. I want to highlight two timeless misunderstandings that come from this passage. And the first one is this. We expect Jesus to change our circumstances. He changes us. We expect Jesus to change our circumstances. He changes us. If you look at John 12, 12 through 13, there's just some interesting things happening here. So the crowd is waving palm branches and they're yelling Hosanna. Now, for many of us that have grown up in church, we may have attended churches that were waving our palm branches. You know, little kids, you know, we wear our nice little suits and we wear our dresses. And it seems to be this idyllic picture of Palm Sunday. But we have to ask ourselves, what's really happening here? If you were to dig up some ancient coins from Jews that were trying to overthrow the Roman government, you would see on those coins a palm branch, which is a nationalistic symbol. So these, these Jews are waving their palm branches and they're singing Hosanna. Hosanna literally means in Hebrew, save us. So the question for us today, as we read this passage, what are these crowds asking to be saved from? Why are they waving their palm branches? Why, what do they see about Jesus? Well, it doesn't take much to see the disciples and crowds that they're looking to Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. They're seeing Jesus as a king that will take over, that will overthrow Julius Caesar. They're bringing their own expectations. But Jesus isn't there to do that. Jesus is going to be on a road 
to die on a cross so that we can be reconciled, to forgive us of our sins, to forgive them of their sins, and then to resurrect from the dead to offer new life. See, they're asking Jesus, change our circumstances when he's really saying, I want to change you. How often during this past year have we had expectations of Jesus to change our circumstances? Jesus, I expect you to get rid of this pandemic. Jesus, I expect you to deal with the politicians and the corruption. Jesus, I expect you to get a new boss for me. Jesus, I expect you to get me a new job. Jesus, I expect you to make my dreams come true. It's complicated. And you can see this misunderstanding because all of those things are really, really important. I believe that you should be praying for those things. You should be asking Jesus, Jesus, come in. I need your help. But before we ask Jesus to change our circumstances, what he's asking us to do is saying this, what needs to change in me? What needs to change in my heart and in my attitudes? And when we see this passage, Jesus is aiming much higher than making this simple change of the Roman government. He's aiming much higher than our desires and our whims to fix our problems. He's saying this, I want to change you. When you walk through the fire that you notice that I'm with you, when you walk through difficulties, there's things that I want to do in your life. I was reflecting a few years ago, um, before I moved to Rochester, I was dating my wife and we were dating long distance. And there is this moment where I had thought about applying for a promotion and I decided to apply for that promotion. And the thing about long distance relationships is this, someone at some point has to move. And so we were in this kind of conversation and I was applying for this promotion at my job and Robin for about a day said, you know what, I'd move to Philadelphia. And then we talked the next day and she said, I just can't do it. And here I was applying for this promotion, trying to be with Robin, trying to figure out where God was leading and at the end of the day, I didn't get that job. And I found myself so angry. I was so upset with God. I expected God to get me a job. I expected to be in the same zip code in the same city as Robin. But you know what I realized? And as I think about that, God was changing my heart. God was teaching me patience. He was teaching me that, that my identity is not wrapped up in my job. He was asking me to, to take my white knuckles and to begin to let go of some of those expectations. In my case, yeah, God moved me to Rochester. But there's been other prayer requests in my life. There's been other circumstances and expectations that he said no. I can tell you this. 100% of the time that you pray, take this to the bank, 100% of the time when you ask God to change something, the first thing he wants to do is change you. That's the message 
of Good Friday. That's the message of Palm Sunday. That's the message of Easter. This world is crazy. There's a chaos. Pray that God changes the things around you. But the greatest thing that you can pray for, the greatest thing that you can ask God for is to change you. So number one, what's the misunderstanding that God uh, leads us through? Number one, it's this, we expect Jesus to change our circumstances. He changes us. And the second thing is this, we want peace by power. He offers peace by gentleness. We want peace by power. He offers peace by gentleness. Look at uh, verses 14 through 19 if you want to just highlight them. You'll, you'll notice that, as I mentioned as we were reading the passage, the idea of a colt and a donkey is a direct quote from the Old Testament in Zechariah 9, 9. What's the significance of Jesus riding on a donkey. Funny, you should ask that because a lot of scholars and commentators would say that donkeys were the Mercedes-Benz of the ancient world. I know you might find that hard to believe. But the instant question of Jesus riding on a donkey is this, why is Jesus not riding on a war horse? When people rode on donkeys in the ancient time, it did have to do with their leadership. It did have to do with their role, but it even more had to do with this. It was a confidence. It was a peace. When you ride on a horse, you're saying that you're a victor, that you're in charge and you're in control. When you're riding on a donkey, it represents peace. It represents gentleness and humility. So when Jesus rides on a donkey, and when we read Zechariah 9, 9, he's saying this, I'm not here to bring war. I'm here to end war. I'm not here to divide the nations. I'm here so that the nations will speak peace. And even in that moment, the last verse of John 12, 19, the enemies of Jesus, the religious leaders, they, they make this throwaway comment, the whole world is after him. And think about that for one moment. There's about a million people in Jerusalem from all different backgrounds. They're not just Jewish, they're Gentiles. They're of different ethnicities and there's different races. And Jesus is stepping on a donkey and he's saying this, I'm coming in peace and gentleness. I don't need to overthrow the government to do my work. And in sitting on a donkey, he's saying this, He's saying, I, I hope to reconcile and free people from themselves. What a powerful image for us today. Jesus doesn't make peace by power. He makes peace by gentleness. In the last few years, in the last year, you know, we've been trying peace by power. We've been trying to have the right arguments. We've been trying to debate and yell at each other. But Jesus says, no, 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 I offer a different way. And in the great philosopher's question from Dr. Phil, the question for us is, how's it working for us? How's it working for us to get peace by power? Yeah, you can have control. You can win the argument. But is it really the lasting peace that Jesus offers? Is Jesus really offering us a different way that 2020 and 2021 has anything taught us of what Jesus wants to accomplish 
not by taking control, not by taking power, but living with gentleness. Scott Sauls in his book, uh, he's a pastor and an author from Nashville. In his book, A Gentle Answer, he says this, because Jesus has loved us at our worst, we can love others at their worst. Because Jesus has forgiven us for all of our wrongs, we can forgive others who have wronged us. Because Jesus offered a gentle answer instead of pouring out punishment and rejecting for our offense and sinful ways, we can offer gentle answers to those who behave offensively and sinfully towards us. But make no mistake, Jesus' gentle answer was bold and costly. His gentle answer included pouring his lifeblood and dying on a cross. Our gentle answer, our gentleness will be costly as well. We must die to ourselves, to our self-righteousness, to our indignation, and to our outrage. The disciples and the crowds They were in Palm Sunday and they were saying, Jesus, make peace by power. Overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus is saying, I'm a different kind of king. I am king, but I am different. I am a king that is for people. I am a king that reconciles people. I am a king that comes in gentleness, humility, and mercy, and will die on a cross to reconcile you to me, reconcile you to each other, to your brothers and sisters, and to give you new life. And part of the Easter story and part of preparation is this, is we walk the same road as Jesus. As Scott Saul says, we die to ourselves. We die for the need to be right. We die for our need to be outraged. We die to those things. No, gentleness does not mean weakness. We still speak the truth in love. We still pursue justice when we need to. We still pursue grace, but we do it out of the motivation and confidence of the gospel that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that his death and resurrection changes us, that we don't have to overtake the world by power, but it's the radical gentleness and love of the gospel that's even harder than taking power that God wants to do in us and that our world so desperately needs. When I was in college, I was asked to go to Washington, D.C. There was a group of about eight of us. And we went all throughout the capital. We went everywhere from soup kitchens to nonprofits. But probably the most profound visit I had was to the Senate's office. And we got to meet the chaplain of the Senate. His name is Chaplain Barry Black. And Chaplain Black uh, invited us into his office. And his office actually oversees the Washington Monument. And he was just telling us a little bit about his job. And of course, as college students, our question to him was, what's it like to be the pastor of the Senate? And if you were to Google him and listen to the YouTube interviews and watch all those things about him, he says the same thing. He says, C-SPAN, Fox News, and CNN, they don't see the Bible studies of Democrats and Republicans. They don't see the prayers of of senators holding hands and praying together. They don't see the visits that I do and the questions that are asked. 
when I think about peace by power versus peace by gentleness, I think of Chaplain Black. We don't vote on him. He's confirmed in the Senate. He doesn't really have a position of power. He doesn't lead one of the committees. But if you were to ask any senator on Capitol Hill, they'll tell you this. He's one of the most influential people. Why? Because he lives out the gospel. When we sat, I just was, I just was spellbound by the way that he talked. You know, there's some people that they quote the Bible and it seems like they're just kind of pasting it on there. But when he quoted the Bible and when he said he prayed, I believed him and it oozed out of him so naturally. When I think about peace by power and when I think about peace by gentleness, I think of Chaplain Black. I think of our world today that there's probably more people like Chaplain Black than we realize. And I wonder about you today, that maybe that you've white knuckled this power. It might not just be about the culture and society. You might have people in your life that are really difficult, a demanding boss. Your marriage might be in shambles. And the problem is, is you said, I want power to get peace. And God is saying this, I want you to have power by gentleness. I want you to relinquish that control. Relinquish your need to be right. Relinquish your fears and anxieties that lead you to yell and be angry at other people and realize this, that, that I'm a king, Jesus says, but I am a different kind of king. So what are the two misunderstandings that get revealed from this passage. The first one is this, is we want Jesus to change our circumstances. He changes us. The second thing is this, we want peace by power. He offers peace by gentleness. You know, some of you might be asking, so Peter, what does this look like? What does this look like as we prepare for Easter? As we prepare for Good Friday, as I spiritually walk through this week, this past summer, I had an opportunity uh, on the Why God Why podcast to interview Jeff Miller. Jeff Miller uh, works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And prior to doing that, he had a job in the corporate world. And one of the interesting things that he said is, we were talking about ambition and we were talking about, you know, how can ambition be obnoxious? And he made this comment to me. He said, you know, I hear people say all the time, this is my team. This is my job. These are my goals. This is my ministry. And he said, buddy, guess what? None of those things are yours. The more we hold on to that, and think about this, think about this passage. The more we hold on to our expectations, the more we hold on to power, the less of it we actually have. And the beauty of someone like Jeff is this. Jeff prays to God that he changes circumstances. He has goals, he has dreams, and he has ambition. He has influence and he has power, but he operates out of this gentleness. And he closed the podcast and he said this. He said, God might take you places that you never thought you were going. The question is this, are you asking and are you listening? And I can think of no better way for us to think of this Palm Sunday that maybe we've run with some misunderstandings about Jesus. 
That we want Jesus to poof, change those circumstances without changing us. That maybe we've tried to take power and Jesus is saying, no, I have a better way. I want you to go in gentleness. The question for us, are you asking? Are you listening to God? I want to close with just two questions. Number one is this. What expectations do you have about Jesus? Perhaps behind your doubts and your anger over this past year, you've made some expectations about Jesus as opposed to really challenging yourself to say this, God, what are you doing in my heart and in my life? How are you changing me? And the second question is this, how is Jesus calling you to be gentle? You want to know what changes this world? Is people that can be yelled at and they can listen and they can love that other person. You know, just this morning I read Proverbs, a harsh word brings wrath, but a gentle word, a gentle word brings freedom. Think about that for a moment. It's not just the world out there and it's not just CNN and Fox News and, and politics, but in your life today, what does gentleness look like on social media? What does gentleness look like in your workplace? Yes, you can be gentle and tell the truth. You can be gentle and give feedback. But when you live with the freedom of knowing who you are in Jesus, that he died and resurrected from the dead, that you experience this freedom and this power and gentleness that you can't have any other way. Palm Sunday reveals our deepest misunderstandings, but Palm Sunday ultimately is about preparation for us. Are you prepared to live the life that God has called you to live. I want you to bow your heads with me. I just want to give you a moment to respond to those two questions. You know, is there, is there an expectation that you had about Jesus that you want to offer up to him and let go of? Is there a circumstance or a situation where God's calling you to be gentle? Is there a person? I want to say this prayer over you as we prepare for Easter week and as we reflect on Palm Sunday. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May our misunderstandings of Palm Sunday be released. Lord, we release our unhealthy expectations. We commit to praying for you first so that you would change us and then you would change our circumstances. And Lord, we relinquish the power that we think we have and we ask you to change us so that we can operate in gentleness. And Lord, as we reflect on this week, you are king, but you are a different kind of king. May we live the message of the gospel in new ways today. And all God's people said,
Amen.